episode 20. Hello everyone, this is Sunshine on Issues, reports from the State House in Tallahassee. I'm James Call, Capitol Reporter for the Tallahassee Democrat and former State House Bureau Chief for the Florida Public Radio Network. I walk the hallways of the capital city and backwoods of North Florida. People tell me things, and then I tell you what they told me. Three pieces of sound this week. A giant disconnect between the Florida Department of Corrections and its public. A candidate for Attorney General who wants to be a consumer advocate. And a Rick Scott reality check with University of Central Florida's Aubrey Jewett. This week, about 200 women lined up to protest a new visitation schedule for Florida's 97,000 prison inmates. The Florida Department of Corrections says too few officers and too much contraband equals less family time for inmates. It wants to limit the inmates to bi-weekly visits of two hours on Saturday and Sunday. Wives, mothers, and girlfriends say the FDC proposal is absurd and immoral. Judy Thompson of the Forgotten Majority lashed out at the department in her public testimony and then talked to reporters outside with other supporters of the uh, other inmate supporters. I have not seen the shortages. You don't I the, haven't. You don't buy the contraband? Uh, I, mean, the, I mean, the figures that they give 2.5%, that's factual, that's data. When you subtract 2.5% from 100%, you get 97.5% that's not being brought in by family members or visitors. Mm -hmm. 97, Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous to even mention anything Mm -hmm. about contraband with a 2.5% of families that are bringing in contraband. That's the most ridiculous thing. It's it's stats, I know that it's in prison policy initiatives and it's also on Florida Department of Corrections website. So it's the they, agency mm-hmm. number, mm-hmm. okay. 2.5%, why would you even bring that up exactly. and say that's the reason why we have to do this, why we have to tear families apart, why we have to have a, a child not see his mom or his dad, you know, any more than twice a month, if you can go on that particular Saturday or Sunday. There's gonna be times when you're not gonna be able to do that. So now I see my husband or I see my child once a month, maybe, maybe. Is there anything any more humane than that? Gail Williams of Mothers in the Gap joined the conversation. Another thing that people are not look, looking at too, when you go back, when you actually go back there, there's a 20 or 30 minute time that's already on you. That's already on you. So by the time, by the time your family member comes out, that is true. You only have maybe an hour. Yeah. Maybe yeah. an hour. An hour yeah. And and then you are left with hardly no time at all to visit to visit them. That is true. Uh-huh. And that's what they want, though. Exactly. They want to no eventually is, no eliminate in person. I don't know why people don't get it. That's the whole plan. That's the whole plan to discourage you and eliminate in person even coming in. But Mr. Comerford, the gentleman at the yeah, he kept saying no, 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 no. This is not it. This this is just a minimum, and this is what we're doing, and, and this like is to enhance visitation, to enhance security. Okay. And you're rolling your eyes at me. Yeah, his um his 
attitude, I think, with people who got up and poured their hearts out, to me, was shameful. Yeah. It really was. It, it was shameful. Did you watch him? He was more about one more minute. Your time is up. Wait a minute. How wrap long? This up. Wrap, wrap this up. Yeah. And how long? How long did it take you and your group to come up with this ridiculous, ludicrous policy? Give us the same amount of time. And Kyle Williford, who was released from prison it's last really week, the told issue. the department they what can't it looks like any employees because the working conditions. And they haven't received a raise in, I believe, eight years. Make cash smuggling items to inmates. Is really the issue. They can't retain any employees because the working conditions. And they haven't received a raise in, I believe, eight years. Don't quote me on that. Well, there's news that they did they get just a raise last right. year. Yeah. But before last year. that, you were right. Yeah, so it's really the bottom line for me is that Tallahassee's treating us like a food order. They're treating us like, you know, a commodity. They've taken the humanity out of the equation. And it's not only going to affect non-criminal taxpayers outside of Christian society. It's also going to affect those who work there. Also this week, I talked to Ryan Torrens, candidate for Attorney General. He's been on the campaign trail for 10 months now. I asked a George Washington Law graduate and consumer attorney, what's the campaign looks like when no one seems to be focused on the November election? We talked at a coffee shop. That's the noise you'll hear in the background. One of the challenges is really an educational part of it, which is uh, explaining what the Attorney General does, why the Attorney General's office is so significant. And I think the main reason people don't realize that is because we haven't had a real Attorney General for a very long time. Let's do a 60-second lightning round. Sure. About hot-button issues. Sure. Guns. I am a strong advocate for the Second Amendment. I will never allow anyone to take away our people's guns in this state, but I agree with Justice Scalia, I agree with former Senator Barry Goldwater, I agree with uh, former President Reagan that reasonable gun reforms are permissible under the Second Amendment, including an assault weapons ban, and that's my stance. I believe in the Second Amendment, but I also believe in protecting our children and our families, and I support reasonable common sense regulations. Immigration. Immigration, you know, I think that the Attorney General of Florida could play a critical role in protecting our dreamers. I think that the approach that the Trump administration is taking on DACA is wrong. Uh, if, as the Attorney General, I would join the other Attorneys General who have already gone to court to protect our dreamers. I think that has to be a top priority of our next Attorney General. This has always been a land of opportunity, and, and I think by discriminating against those who, who have come here is the wrong approach. I think that we need to protect our dreamers. So. Okay, well, that was 60 seconds, but oh, we, still have another, <laughs> we, we still have another hot button issue. Okay. <laughs> Restoration of uh, civil rights for felons. Yeah, my position on that is that if you, uh, you know, have, have served your prison sentence and you've completed the terms of your probation and you have done everything that the court requires you to do, uh, that you should be able to fully participate in our democracy, and that includes having the right to vote. So I was glad to see that that was on the ballot. I, you know, will be voting for that myself. I signed the petition myself. It's the right thing to do. It's not going to be the end of the story, because there's some collateral consequences that come in there that need to be resolved, but I support restoring the rights. 
Finally, this week, I wrote a piece for the USA Today Network Florida about uh, the Rick Scott Challenge of U.S. Senator Bill Nelson. I called UCF Professor Aubrey Jouette to uh, double-check my assumptions. Jouette has served as a sounding board for me since uh, Rick Scott became governor. He's a foremost expert on Florida politics, co-author with USF Susan McManus and FSU's Lance DeHaven-Smith of the Almanac on Florida Politics. I wanted to talk to the professor about the evolution of Rick Scott during eight years as governor. I caught up with him on a weekday morning when he was riding his bike on Orlando's suburban streets. That explains his sometimes labored breaths and long pauses. You know, I will say we have seen instances where the governor has been at least somewhat more progressive or liberal. I think back to his re-election year, I wrote uh, in, our, in a fourth edition of Politics in Florida, which came out a couple of years ago when I wrote about his re-election, I have a little paragraph that basically goes, you know, where once he talked about tax cuts and how uh, stringent the budget was, now he's bragging about how big this budget is, like the largest in Florida history. <laughs> And bragging about how much he's been able to spend on K through 12 education this year, right? Uh, you know, when I say this year, we're talking about his re-election year. Uh, yeah. but 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 he's following the same pattern. And it seems as if he was. You know, we're in a re-election year. He's term limited as governor, but widely expected to run for senator. And once again, he's moderated his image in the election year. Um, on again several different issues, whether it's guns or the budget or mm -hmm. spending, and so would you say that we we we've seen more of an evolution of him as a politician, being a more skillful political player, than we have seen uh, an an evolution in his policies or uh, political philosophy. Is that a fair question to ask of a politician? Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. There's been a learning curve. Um, again, if you look back, his first year in office in his inaugural address or his, or his uh, state, first state of the state, he said something to the effect he wasn't elected to be most popular. He was elected to solve problems and do it from a, you know, sort of a conservative populist bent. And, um, of course, this was when his initial approval ratings were like about 30 <laughs> percent, really low. Uh, and so at the time, I thought, well, maybe he, you know, maybe he really is not the typical politician. He doesn't, maybe he doesn't care about getting reelected. He's just going to do what he said he was going to do and then let the chips fall where they may. But uh, certainly by year four of his first term, <laughs> uh, he seemed to. Uh, you know, change his mind a little bit and realize that popularity is not a bad thing. Helps you get reelected, and to some degree might help you get some of your policies passed, you know, in the legislature. So, so I guess, I guess it's sort of like he rode a Tea Party wave into office, and now we're going to see if, he, if he's able to surf a Democratic wave. I would say that's, yeah, I would say, yeah. Can he, can he, uh, survive that, yeah. That's our report this week. Sunshine on Issues reports from the State House in Tallahassee is produced for the Tallahassee Democrat and the USA Today Network Florida. 
The Tallahassee Democrat has been promoting democracy since 1905. This is James Call, the Democrat's Capital Reporter. Contact me at jcall at tallahassee.com or follow me on Twitter at calltallahassee. Thank you for your time, my friends, and we'll talk soon.